To share about Mumbai, India using words and photos, much less within a few minutes, seems horribly insufficient. However, I'm glad to do so, seeing as even more than being sent overseas, I have even greater passion and conviction to return and tell of it. I prayed over these next few minutes that God enables you to truly hear what he wishes to be communicated, that he strengthens you to respond, and that he reminds you of his faithful equipping, which leaves us fully able to do just that which he prompts. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we each have a great privilege to uniquely shine his light as no other has been made to shine him. And this truth not only excites me, but it's the promise of God that takes me to places such as India. It's the same promise of God that takes me to my next-door neighbor. And by his grace, it's the promise of God that I trust will take my unpredictable, yes, God, I'll go to India from just a few months ago and use it this morning to prompt some more yeses to him in this place. How do I share the persistent feeling of numbness in the middle of everything that ought to cause me deep emotion? Maybe it was the stench or the myriad of smells, wet dogs and waste, standing in 105-degree heat, monsoons, floods, unending traffic, carefully wading through stagnant, diseased flood water with the occasional rat floating atop, thousands of ants found in bed, Sleeping people aged 0 to 80, lying in the streets, on cars, in the open, anywhere. A man shoves and pushes us for blocks to buy his drum. Few people are rich at the expense of the poor, and all strive for what they do not need, with little want for that which they truly lack. I'm startled by the eerie resemblance of home, the lost people the lost people in America, easily fooled by culture-spoken dreams. Maybe it was telling a woman that she had value and being met with a blank stare, no expression, and little care to understand further. Being both wooed and scammed by street kids, their ambitions set on daily survival. Bumping into people who lay, squat, and lean Handicapped not by birth defect or accident, but by intentional harm done in order to accumulate deeper pity and more handouts. Looking into eyes assured of only twisted hope in lifeless gods, gods that demanded of the people in the least their money and in the most their own children. Maybe it was defaulting to distrust rather than trust. One day a man is seemingly blind with a begging palm and a and a painful moan, I find him sweeping the ground and conversing normally the next. What is genuine? Taxis, noise, crows, people on top of people. There's color but no vibrancy, sunshine but no brightness, work but no relief, space but no breathing room, a tired place unwilling to admit its own exhaustion. Maybe it was my own disbelief or my unusually tiny hope, a creeping confusion that was certainly not from God, but abundant in a place that knows him not. Finding the four-year-old boy suddenly gone, taken to the brothels, to be trained as a pimp ordered by the man who owns his mother. Being informed that at least 95% of all Indian men, including the leaders of the Christ-believing evangelical church, unashamedly admit to both beating and abusing their wives. 
So no wonder then that a sex worker knows her husband to be her most frequented customer. A mother and her girls sprint down the road, wide-eyed and smiling in the black of night, chasing a horse carriage. The foreigner's outstretched palm holds one rupee coin worth 11 cents at best. An imposter look of hope upon her face and a false security. Maybe it was walking by homes made of movie posters, toys and weapons made of sticks, meals made of scraps, teaching prostitutes' daughters simple English, orange, boy, girl, with the hopes that they just might be able to test into school, as is their only way out of a life in the brothels. Watching a child purr like a cat as her back was rubbed with love and not manipulation, giving a child her first sincere hug, the first touch a sick one may have felt for years, the first eye contact a woman has known for months, looking into eyes looking into eyes that have seen much more harm and evil than I shall ever see on the worst American film, much less in reality. Hearing our instruction before entering the school, just touch them, just touch them. Might it be my unselfishness, the sting when I realize that I'm conditioned to give a couple of raisins away rather than my entire box? The sorrow of seeing how much I withhold from a land of many raisin boxes. How do I confess that I found myself thinking, gee, kid, I already gave you three raisins. Maybe it was having our taxi window tapped on by sad eyes, tiny hands, women holding starved babies. The moments I ignored them, coldly changing sides of the street just to get the beggar child off of my hip, avoiding people to avoid emotions that I didn't want to feel just one more time. Hiding from decision, because I didn't know which decision to make. Do I eat lunch today, or do I give it? Do I say yes, or do I say no? Do I believe the best in this person, or should I be cautious of them? And how do I rightly admit to being much more than I ever thought I was to those same people that I came to reach? How do I admit that in only a few weeks, even I forgot that our means and our end is Jesus Christ? Maybe it was hugging in my arms, a laughing, crying, drunk 15-year-old, impregnated by a customer, as she was in the midst of self-aborting her child with alcohol. Did I sign up for this, Lord? What is right to think, and how am I to feel right now? As I hold this girl who is trafficked into the brothel for no more money than I spend on her groceries in a month, I cannot say to her, it's okay, as she murders the child within her, thinking her successful abortion is her only hope to survive the pimp of the man who owns her. Do these women know, God, that apart from you, that this is the height of their existence for eternity? This wretched life of slavery, have I ever considered that eternally this may be the best life that this girl ever knows? How do I reveal horrific, senseless truths of a culture? If you do not take it, it's taken from you. If you do not fight forward, you're pushed back. If you're not educated, you're used by educators. And if you're not a man, you do well to keep away from them. If you cannot lie well, you likely will not make it. The people I've merely paused here in pictures, they've since survived or died. They've escaped or been further used. They're likely working, breathing, 
moving and feeling still in India, just as we are here this morning, right now, and every second. I waited in the JFK airport, drinking a cup of black coffee comparable to the cost of four dinners eaten the previous week. I sat convinced and confident in, a, in the mighty arms of a mighty father who knows India, who knows India, just like he knows me. He sees it, and he has already provided the way of escape. At that moment, I realized that it would be much more comfortable for me to forget India rather than to tell you of it. It's dangerous to intentionally remember what we don't know what to make of, to ask of the Lord, what just happened? What was that, Father? And then to actually listen for his response. You see, it's all still happening there, and now I'm here. And all of this is within a white suburban girl who has worked very little for the very much that she has. Yet, a girl who stands before you made aware that she has everything that the world truly needs. To conclude, I just want to share with you a few last thoughts from Matthew 5:14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And as I thought about this truth in regards to India, I was reminded of something that's very easy to forget, but very important for us to remember. Darkness exists not because of what a place includes. It's not merely the poverty, the dirty water, the abuse, addiction, or disease. There's no spectrum of better or worse darkness. Darkness exists where the light does not. And in regards to this verse, darkness is a hill without a city set atop it, specifically the true light, which is the light of Jesus Christ. Only the Spirit of God is able to eliminate darkness, both in the hearts in this room and in the most oppressed places of the world. I wonder then, if the darkness I experienced in India and that you've now been made aware of, I wonder if in God's kindness and in his patience, he allows it, not only to awaken those who are without the light of Christ in that country, but maybe even more so to awaken those of us who have his light, that we might choose to shine it that we might choose to say yes to God. Yes, God, set me as a city. Yes, God, set me as a city on the hill of your choosing. Not my will, but yours be done. Well, I had the great privilege to travel to a different country uh, this summer to work with some other children that are in need of that love. Um, I went with 25 other people from this church to Trujillo, Peru, to work with and serve with the people at the Hogar de Esperanza. Uh, There are 45 children that live there um, every day, in and out. And you will see people around here that have shirts like these on and ask them about their time there. Um, They're going to tell you things that we did. We did a vacation Bible school. Um, We did construction there and maintenance. But more important than all those things, we also just loved the children there. We spent time with them. We hugged them. We played with them, put them on our shoulders, went sandboarding. They taught us just as much as as we taught them. The most important thing was just loving there and being there with them. But I think the thing that impacted us the very most was the last Wednesday when we were there. 
That was the day that we had to leave the albergue. I remember going up there for the last time, coming to the locked doors, them unlocking it for us all to enter in, and staying there and seeing this crowd of beautiful children, um, 45 of them just standing there, a lot of them already with tears in their eyes. And what I want you to realize, at those tears are, were not just simply of sadness that their American friends were leaving. Um, for some of those kids there, those tears were a hope and a yearning. Because some of those kids there don't have a mom, and they don't have a dad, and they don't have a family that cares about them. So those tears held a different message. And you don't need a Spanish translator to look in the eyes and feel the hugs and know the message that they want to leave with us. It's this message of want me. It's heartbreaking, and yet it's very real. Um, I remember vividly running over to Tim, and I wanted to know the right translation of something I wanted to tell one boy in particular. A 14-year-old boy um, had a really strong connection with him, and I found out what I wanted to tell him. I went back over to him, and I looked in his eyes, his face, he was tears streaming down his face. And I looked at him, and I wiped the tears from his eyes. And I said, take hero, take hero. And that means I love you. And you do, you fall in love with these kids. God can do that. After a week and a half, I fell in love with this kid. And I wanted to know that I loved him. And shortly after, we had to turn around and get on the bus and that we had to leave. This same child, a teenager actually, he had written me a letter. As soon as we got in the bus, I had Sherilyn uh, translate, it, translate it for me. So uh, she read to me as we were driving away. And you're going to hear that letter now. There's going to be a video coming up next. Hear the words of the children, these kids that don't have a home they don't have a mom and dad to love them and care about them, see their faces, and hear this message that they want to impart to you. Want me. I hope that you will come back again. Thank you for helping at the orphanage, and thank you for being like a mother to me, because I've never had a hug from a real mother. And I know that you are a good mother because you're very fun. Your kids must be very proud. I know it because if I had a mother like you, I would feel proud. I've never known a mother as fun. My mother never worried or cared about us, about me and my brother. She never took the time to play with me. God bless you. And please pray that a family can adopt us. As Shannon was saying, on the day that we left the orphanage, you can see in the eyes of the 45 children at Hogar de Esperanza the desire to be loved and to be a part of a family. You've just seen 10 of the children that are available for adoption at Hogar de Esperanza and who are looking for their forever families. Three and a half years ago, I was attending a small church of about 100 people, and a couple had gone to Hogar de Esperanza on a personal mission trip and returned to show a, a slideshow of the projects that they had completed as well as uh, the children that needed homes. 
Just like you, I was sitting watching the slideshow go by of the kids that needed homes, many of the same children that we just saw this morning. As I was watching the faces of the children, um, I was thinking, well, this is a, a nice gesture, and, but cynically I was thinking, you know, we're a small church, nobody's going to adopt. But then I saw this picture of these three girls, Lauren, Veronica, and Donna, and my life was forever changed. My thoughts changed to, well, why not you? Why can't we adopt? In 10 months, within 10 months, these girls became my, my, daughter, uh, my wife and I's daughters and the, the sisters to my, my three boys. It's uh, my prayer this morning that these other children will find their forever families. And perhaps God is calling you, as it says in James 1.27, to look after the orphans. Uh, in a church the size that we have, I, I marvel at the possibilities. And if any of you cons- are considering adoption, I would love to talk to you after the service. Well, another one of our teams here from Windsor Road went down to the Dominican Republic. John Folsom uh, led that team down there. We've been going to Dominican Republic for about 10 years now as a church and uh, have had some great influence in the city of Santiago. Um, it seems like uh, the past few years we've really had, had a concentration of our work and efforts in, in an area of Santiago called uh, Ato del Yaque. And uh, John, just tell us a little bit about what you've seen. You've been there for the past three years in a row. Kind of what you've seen transpire there in Ato del Yaque. What's, what's been the difference you've seen? Ato del Yaque, I, I kind of liken it to, to uh, Bonville. Uh, to, as Bonville is to Champagne, it's just a very small uh, community. It's less than a thousand people. It's, it's on the outskirts. Um, it's a farming community uh, with, with very little to nothing, just kind of some tin shacks and, and, and farmland. And uh, Go Ministries saw a, a need uh, to really help the people out there, um, especially with agriculture and things dying off. So uh, in 2006, uh, Winds Road was, was fortunate enough to be able to, to help break ground on a new facility. Um, I think even then, not knowing what God's plans were for this building and, and, and where he was going to take it and how his uh, uh, spirit was going to work. In 2007 was the f- uh, first year I got, uh, got to go back and kind of see what they had done. And uh, there's uh, the walls and, uh, and, and dirt, just kind of like the, the picture shows. And just not, not a whole lot. And even then, it's kind of hard to piece together because it's a very slow process. You know, they can build things overnight practically here. And so it, it takes a, a lot longer pace over there. And, and to be able to see that and envision it, um, which I think only really God can do. In 2008, uh, we went back again, and, and we were the second team to stay there. And uh, had, the, had the church service there. And... It was amazing that the dormitories are there and were able to stay and participate in a church service. And afterwards, uh, three people came forward and turned their lives over to God. And at that moment, you realize you understand why and you understand your purpose and you understand why you're there. Um, you're, you're laying bricks and moving sand and, it, and it's kind of hard to comprehend, especially over years' time. But in that moment, it just kind of epitomized why you're there when these people come forward and, and turn their lives over to God. You, you understand and it makes sense. 
And then 2009, we went this year and, and broke ground on the parsonage across the street. That's what the facility looks like now inside that same one uh, where the Holding Church service is. Um, this year, we, we broke ground on the parsonage across the street where the, the uh, pastor and the missionary who's stationed there is going to be staying. Um, and it's, it's very exciting for them and, and for the community. The, the community's bustling and, and trying to see where things are going. And, and as we're doing that across the street in the, in the building that's still progressing and, and moving up, they're holding dance classes, they're having music classes, they're having um, drug rehabilitation courses, they're having teen mentoring courses, and all in a building that didn't exist before 2006. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's amazing ministry going on there. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's neat to see the... The pastor living his life there, and you, you started building his uh, his house there just Absolutely. across the street. Wow. Well, there's another area that uh, we didn't get to stay there, but each year it seems like we had you know one day of ministry, an area of Santiago that they call the hole, mm. and it's it's really a, a garbage dump that has been transformed into a community. Mm. They've built houses on this garbage dump, and and um, it's one of the poorest areas. Uh, describe some of the some of the change you've seen there. Absolutely, the the hole for those who, who don't know is is it's kind of displaced hurricane victims. Hurricane David went through there, um, created a lot of devastation on the island, and so the government uh, in a in a band-aid fix basically built houses on top of a landfill. They built houses on garbage. I mean, literally, <laughs> and. and uh, said, okay, we did our part, you've got a place to stay, we're done, you know, and, and uh, here we're kind of used to seeing our version, the American version of poverty, you know, at least where we have social programs and, and government subsidies and, and government assistance, and down there, it's not quite the same way. When you're down and out down there, you're literally, there's nothing, and uh, so, so to see that, felt the need to come in and, and help these people who, who are displaced and, and it's a kind of squatter's rights, they have bootleg power, bootleg water, those who have it. And uh, they built their first church there. Um, it's, it's a little six by eight foot structure. I mean, that, that was it. Six by eight feet. And that's, that's, most people's bathrooms are bigger than that here. And that was their church um, where, the, where they started. And, uh, but the problem was it was uh, the flooding, a lot of flooding and stuff was by a river and it would flood a lot. And so they relocated that building up to a higher ground and created the feeding center. And uh, they've started feeding about 40 to 60 kids, which today, uh, last year, we got to go serve some of the kids there. They're, they're probably their only meal for the day. Uh, it was about 100 to 120 kids. And uh, that's, that's where they progressed to. This is the newer building before where they started and uh, pieced together driftwood for benches. And then now that's basically what it looks like now with uh, the tiled floors and the, and the pillars and everything, and they're starting a second floor. So it's kind of rising above the community there and kind of giving people a, a beacon of hope. They can see the structure coming up and giving them room for, for hope and pride. Yeah. Those kids that you mentioned that get their meal there, that's, that's the best meal of their day that they, they get in this, in this uh, feeding center, this Absolutely. nutrition center. It's the right nutrition for them. Right. Well, uh, you said that the church moved up the move up the hill mm-hmm. on one side of the river. Uh, describe what what difference you saw between that side of the river and the other side of the river. Oh, the church doesn't yeah. have much much presence well, there. The river kind of splits the the area in half there, um, and it was all pretty much like this. Where literally you see the garbage and you see structures built 
on garbage. You wonder how they stayed up and how they've lasted. They, they, they make it work. Um, when it's your, your well-being and your life, you make it, you make it work for you. Um, but, but since the church has been on the other side of the river, you, you, you see a sense of, of pride now. You see a sense of, of hope. They, they feel like, um, you know, that God is there for them, that he's going to be there for them. He's going to help them. And you see that in their faces um, in contrast to the other side where just, you know, they're kind of having to lean, lean onto, the, onto the church side there. Wow. Well, you've seen the difference in these communities. Um, what do you want us to know? What, what do we need to know? There's so many ministries going on, so many things vying for our attention and our right. money. Really, all, all said and done, um, it's, it has to happen here to happen there. Um, you know, like in this picture, this is a picture of our fundraiser that we have, our Super Bowl party that we have here. We have volunteers. We have people donating their time, their resources, um, uh, anything that they can and that allows us to go over there. And, and so if you can imagine somebody spending $5 here for their, you know, to play some games or, or to pass some time or for fellowship or, or whatever they see here, and that $5 allowing, um, you know, and a team member to go down there to take part in construction, to, to hold the BBSs, to uh, spread God's love and, and, and to love on those kids down there and the people and to allow these structures to be built, which then allows people to turn their lives over to God. I mean, just from the $5 here, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a disconnect. We don't get to see the end result. But, but trust me, uh, there's not a... a a dollar or a minute of anybody's time here that they is spent in vain. It, it is for an awesome cause, and, and it's working. God's will is being spread. Yeah, it all makes a difference. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's right. Before we enter into communion, I'd like to share some of my memories from the trip to the Dominican this summer. One of the striking things was I saw a lot of my lifestyle as a child in the Dominican Republic. I enjoyed the trip uh, along with the people that, the wonderful young people that went with us. And I also enjoyed meeting the local folks. As I said, observing the similarities and differences in my own childhood um, in a small town in Georgia. They had chickens in the yard, dog, seemed to share the same space as the family. This is where I grew up, in an area similar. We had dogs and chickens, and everybody enjoyed and was happy. But let's not forget the kids. They were clean and seemed healthy and happy and willing to help out. Some of the young ladies would adopt our young ladies. Yes, adopt you, and they would keep you all day and had fun together. The boys at the work site would uh, play boy games. And a couple of games reminded me of my childhood down in Georgia. They played a game called Marbles and had this stick that they could roll a tireless, you know, the rim around the neighborhood for hours and had fun. That I did also. But the most striking memory I brought back from the Dominican was the day we took the field trip. Had fun and enjoyed each other with the kids. 
but we took a walk to the minister's house for a meal. I was blessed with the opportunity to have a meal in the, in the home of the minister. The food was basically the same that we had at the work site every day. But this food had, this meal had, had a special blessing for me. And I felt as if I was home. I felt that I really, really belonged there. They didn't have much, but they shared generously, willingly. And here I was in a foreign country, didn't understand the language, some of the food I hadn't had before. But you know, I felt that I belonged there. And shortly after, I realized exactly why I felt that way. This is the way life was in my town, on my little rural area in Georgia. We often walked to and from church activities, kids playing along the way, parents having conversations. Sometimes they'd break out in a song. We had a few more material things than the people in the Dominican Republic, but not much. But you know, we also shared. Each other's homes, we had a meal, or we just got together and just, just shared each other together. This was fellowshipping in the small town in Georgia that I came from. And you know something? I found it again in the Dominican Republic. So as we go into communion that God shares with us, I ask you to remember that this meal we're sharing together does not only remind us of Christ's sacrifice for us, but this is something that churches do all around the world, the United States, the Dominican Republic, New Zealand, the Ukraine, Peru. People remember Christ's death and they celebrate it by drinking wine and eating of the bread. We are all, indeed, all in a foreign land, but we are all brothers and sisters, and we share in the abundance that only Christ can give us. Amen. This summer, uh, some people called to Peru, India, the DR. Uh, we were called to go to El Paso, Texas, of all places. Our families, as well as uh, the Higgins, went with us. Uh, we went down there to visit uh, Greg Hunt and his family, who uh, used to be a student minister here, and they they left a couple years ago to go plant a church down in El Paso. Uh, so we went to kind of encourage them and, and their church members. And uh, we also worked on a building that has been gifted to them. It's an old church. Uh, and so we went down there and did some renovation on that. Uh, 
tore down some walls, things like that. Uh, we also got to throw a party for that neighborhood. Uh, the church that used to be in that building kind of left a bad taste uh, for the for the other neighbors there, so so we went down and, and had some inflatables and fed them and and just to just to show them that this is going to be a new beginning. This this church that is coming here is going to be there to serve them uh, and take care of their needs. Uh, we also got to go to uh, a women's shelter slash crisis pregnancy center called Dame La Mano, uh, and uh, we fed them some pizza, and uh, hung out with the moms, held some babies, played with the kids, uh, just had a, a really good time of, of going down there to uh, encourage the hunts and, and do some work for them. Uh, it, it all kind of started as actually uh, what was going to be a small group trip. Uh, the hunts used to be in my small group, uh, so the plan was to take our small group down there and, and be with them again. It uh, didn't quite work out because of uh, some different things, but uh, it actually ended up uh, being pretty good. In 2005 or so, as this church was getting ready to talk about the 2006 trip to the DR, talked about taking my daughter, who's now a high school senior, Leah, to the DR with me. And as we thought about that as a family, we thought, well, every other year, I plan to go on a long-distance missions trip. And Indeed, went in 2006 to the DR with Leah, and then in 2008 again with Leah. In 2010, I planned to go with Talitha, who's 12 now, back to the DR. And so, but this year, I was called by the king to break that pattern. I was called to El Paso, and, and I tell you the truth, I heard the king's voice very literally as, li- as if I was having a conversation with you. And he said to me, Carl, this is Mike. Would you like to go to the El Paso? <laughs> and, and we did. And I took uh, the three daughters still at home and my wife, and we all went to El Paso. It was a great time. Uh, enjoyed following Mike's leadership this summer. And, and as I've, I've listened to the different stories and talked with my wife and, and Carl's family and things like that, there's, there seems to be kind of a common thread running through uh, the people that have been on a missions trip. Uh, and that's that of uh, submission and obedience uh, to what God is calling you to do. You know, you, you feel a, a tug on your heart or you see a need, and you decide that instead of just ignoring it or saying, oh, I'll pray for that, you, you actually decide to go and do something. And I think sometimes we get confused when we talk about missions trips. You know, we think that it has to be something big and elaborate and planned by a church and things like that. You know, a, a missions trip is simply that. It is a trip where there is a mission. The mission is to go and spread the love of God and the salvation of Christ. The trip can be on an airplane to a foreign country, but it can be as simple as walking across the street to your neighbor's house. And just this week, I had opportunity to follow another leader here in the church, Steve Towner and the deacons, and we went and, and replaced the bathroom floor that had dry rotted and and uh, it was, wasn't fun. I was there all day Saturday, and, and Steve and Jean McDermott spent a number of nights there this week as, as well to finish it up. And that just is illustrative of the fact that when we go on these trips, we don't always get it all done, but we nevertheless should go and do our part. And we learned this summer, my family and I, that giving up your, the, the coveted American summer vacation to go help someone else 
can be something that in the end you want to do again. All three of our daughters as we left El Paso said, are we going to do this next summer again? Don't know yet. We might. But nevertheless, uh, we went this summer because we were called. And I would encourage you, when you folks are called, whether it's Mike or a feeling that the Holy Spirit gives you in your heart, let you go. So, so the salt and light theme that has been running through, you know, that, that comes out of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and it starts in verse 13 where Christ calls us. He says that you are the salt of the earth. You know, and, and we use salt in our own lives all kinds of different ways, whether it's flavoring your food or softening your water or, or melting ice. Uh, but, but the important thing about it, you know, is not how it's used it's the fact that it, it is used. If you never throw that salt out on the ice, nothing's going to happen. It's never going to melt. All right? I, I hope that, that you have seen uh, some examples of, of the possibilities out there of how you can go out and love on people and, and, and praise God. It reminds me uh, of going to uh, a thing called uh, All Campus Praise and Worship. It was at Follinger Hall when I was a student at U of I, we got all the different student ministries together just for a, a big praise time. And, and the thing that I remember about that is one of the, the worship leaders saying that evangelism exists because praise and worship doesn't. If we're not out there praising and worshiping our God, th- then we're going to have to be out there doing other things, talking. Um, it it, it kind of ties into the, to the end of the whole salt and light passage uh, where Jesus continues in saying, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, I, I want us to all be challenged to go out when you feel that tug, when you see that need, to, to do something about it. You know, you, you've, you've tasted a little bit of our salt, of what we've done. Um, now it's your turn. If you're at a loss of what to do, uh, coming up in about a month and a half, we're going to have the weekend of service. You know, we're, we're, hopefully everybody's heard we're canceling church, um, kind of. We're just not doing it here. We're going to go out in eight different places in the, in the community, and, and we're going to do church uh, with, with our brothers and sisters that, that, that live around here. Um, that, that's that's a, going to be a good springboard for you. But that's a month and a half away. You, know, you have a lot of time to go out and be salty now. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I would pray the greatest blessing on everyone sitting here today, and that would be that they would respond to an opportunity to serve other people, people that you have said are our neighbors. After loving you, Lord, loving our neighbors is the very most important thing we can do, and we all receive great blessings from doing that. I would pray for these people here that they would get out of their seats and do what you call them to do and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.